Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 9-11-2022. We're continuing our worship service. Uh, we're going to continue with the thought of the week in prayer. Okay. At this time, we'll have the thought of the week. Rooted and established in love. The last phrase here, in love, represents the mature believer's motivation. The basis of our response to God should be from love. In the process of growing up in the spiritual life, it may not have always been love. When love is our foundation, we don't simply say we love God. We really do. We love his ways. We love the things he loves. We love righteousness and justice. We love the wisdom of God. We understand the eternal plan and love inspires an appreciation and a thankfulness which motivates us to do his will instead of our own. Jesus said it this way, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. This is a simple phrase, but it explains love. To keep here is to guard, to protect. We guard and protect things which are valuable, things we cherish. In this case, what we are to cherish is the word of God in our hearts. It is not the word on the page, it is the word in our hearts. We love the word of God and we love the truth it reveals. It is as if the love of your life is in a distant place. When you finally get a letter from them, you just stare at it, so happy to receive it. You carefully open it and begin to devour each word. The words inspire thoughts, emotions, memories of a yearning that overwhelms you. You don't want it to end. When you get to the last word, you smell the paper to see if their scent is there. You carefully fold this letter and put it somewhere special. You read it over again and again and cherish it. You don't rip it up, read it once and leave it out to throw it in the trash it is precious. Now, the paper is not precious. The ink and the envelope are not precious. It is the person who is so precious. And knowing this person's thoughts is even more valuable. Yes. As we mature in the word, we truly learn the love of God. And we try to mimic that love by keeping his word. His word is what we have hidden in our heart. And the word does say, if you love me, you will keep my commands. At this time, we will have days with prayer. Amen. I thank Bill. At this time, do they want to have any special prayer requests? They want to stay to the throne of grace? Okay, so at this time we're going to go prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful, Lord, that you give us opportunity to, to look at your word, Father. We have to, Lord, as our pastor, open the word that we could actually have the spirit teach us all things that need to be learned, Father. We pray for a word of truth and word of truth, church, Father, so that we could continually grow in the knowledge of our Lord, the Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Father, we so, we so grateful for your plan that your beloved sort of, so he can be the propitiation for our sins, and not only for the church, Father, but for the sins of the whole world. Father, we ask as we continue this, 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 this study that you would teach us, Father, your divine truth and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We thank you and we bless, we give you all the blessings, Father, in the name of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In the name we ask and we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Dave, and thank you, Bill. Appreciate that. Um, we're grateful to have your participation. So we are in um, John seventeen twenty four. This is where we ended up last time. I'll just head right to our notes. You should have notes. Uh, so the scripture is, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. One day this world as we know it will be over. I know that it is hard uh, to imagine when the world is casually going on like it will never end. It will be exactly like the apostle said, quote, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's 1 Thessalonians 4.16. The church will be removed from earth's reality and human history. Will be will continue precise, precisely where it left off. When that happens, this special age will be over, and the door will be closed on the on the this new creation in Christ. The Father's eternal purpose for the church will be accomplished. Then we will see what is quote immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. It's Ephesians three twenty. For now we wait for the blessed hope the glory, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's Titus 2.13. So we, wow, we have come a long way in John chapter 17. When I say a long way, I mean uh, we've touched on a lot of different thoughts. Just reviewing the prayer that Jesus has with the Father. Interesting. As we think about how he sees what are the next steps, what's important to him as he gets ready to go to the cross, we get, to, we get the opportunity to get a snapshot in his mind as to what he's thinking. And then he's praying. Right? What are his hopes and dreams, his desires? Uh, he, he understands what's, ha what's going to happen next and he understands the extent of everything that has to do with him uh, creating this new creation as we've been discussing. And it's all coming to a head. And Pentecost is soon approaching. So we covered a lot of these points and we want to get right to it because we've got a lot of ground to cover. But I think where we left off 
is in point number two. So the first point was, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. He said, well, where is Christ? Uh, so it, this is very something very special. And we identified that Jesus is not just praying for all saved people of all time. He's specifically praying for us, the church. And there are verses that say that. I am not praying for the world. I'm praying for those who, for these that you have given me. So we can only say that he's extending that to us because he is not praying for them alone. He's praying also for us who will believe on him through their message. And then he says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me. Well, those are spiritual dynamics that belong to Pentecost. So Christ came in a world where they didn't understand who he was. Uh, we read in a previous, well, in our previous session, though, even though the world was made by him, the world did not recognize him. That's first John. That's John, not first John. John one nine. The world didn't know who he was. So, we hope to bridge that gap. We don't want to see uh, the ignorance that the world saw when they looked at Christ. They didn't know who he was. We want to be able to see him through the eyes of the Spirit of Truth and allow him to guide us into all truth. So we're going to get into, I'd say, um, I'm just going to review a couple of the points. So at point G, where I am. This is where we belong. This is our home. And this is in heaven, in the heavenly realms. Right? God, if this body is destroyed, we have a home that is being prepared for us in the heavens. That is absolutely what we should be looking forward to. If we die, we know that we're going to be absent from the body. That's the, what we consider home now, present with the Lord. We're going to be in a different place. It, we will not lose consciousness. We'll not go into like a dark hole where there is nothingness. We will continue to have consciousness just like we have it here, except we won't be here. We'll be in a new realm, the heavenly realms, just like it says. If this body, this tent is destroyed, what will happen? Uh, we're, God is preparing something for us in heaven. So that's important for us to know. And then uh, point H, this is one H. Lord, I want to be there t with you too. And hopefully it is the desire of all of us to be at home. And, you know, I traveled a lot uh, for the previous job that I had before I retired. I did. I traveled a lot. I traveled sometimes over a month I was gone. That means hoteling it and all these. And, and all the places I've been, I could say there was no place like home. I know that comes from the Wizard of Oz and all that, but I'm taking that because it's true. That phrase is no place. I mean, where you're familiar, where you feel like comfortable, where everything that you want in terms of creature comforts are there. 
you're traveling somewhere and, and you go there and and you want that and then they don't have it. It's just they just don't have it. It's just not the way they they function. But you, when you get home, you just even before you even do anything, you just feel. You just sit down and you say, "Oh, it sure is nice to be home." Not having to worry about catching the plane or the train or the automobile or whatever. It's just nice to be home. Well, when we get to heaven, you're going to have that familiar feeling as well. Like, you know why? Because that is where you belong. You belong there. So when you get there, it's not going to be some foreign place where you feel like, man, I'm... You know, you're looking around at your surroundings and you just got to, well, it's going to take some time for me to get used to all this. No, this is exactly, in fact, I have to turn to a scripture because there is a scripture that helps us understand that even better in that context, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And then I think it's verse 4. No, no, it's verse 5. It says, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. Now notice, fashioned us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So we have been made for this. So we're not, this is, even though we feel there's, that we've been made for here, and we could feel that, that identity we have with this world and the things of this world, God has made us for another purpose. And we will eventually, it will be like slipping into a shoe that fits perfectly. And that's coming for us. We should know that's special. Not every human being is going to have that opportunity. Not everybody's got a home in heaven. Some people are there temporarily. But we have a permanent place there. So we're going to move on to point number two. So the first phrase, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Second phrase, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me. Now we, I stopped this phrase right where I did because I wanted to just make sure we were familiar with the glory because we had conversations about this throughout the chapter. Uh, Christ talking to the Father about the church age says a lot about glory. and that So that's interesting that we, this is not the first time we've dealt with glory, so uh, it's obviously something we will have to wait to behold because Christ says, I want him to be with me where I am. Well, how are we going to get there? We're, we're, the only way we're going to get there is through uh, the resurrection. That's how we, you know, we're caught up to meet the Lord. Of course, there's other ways to get there, too. One other way. If you, if you die, if the body is destroyed, or if we're absent from the body, then we'll be at home with the Lord. So there are other ways to get there, but that is our destination, the heavens. We're heavenly people. Uh, our citizenship, as it says in Philippians 3, is in heaven. So we don't know what's gonna, what that's going to look like. 
we don't know what the glory is that Christ is talking about exactly. We understand this achievement glory. We're going to get into it a little bit, but we're going to say what we do know about it, but the experience of it, we don't know. Like, it's one thing to talk about the sun. Let's say, say you were blind. It's one thing to describe the sun and talk about it and uh, say how bright it is. And for a person who's blind, they can't see anything. They can understand what you're saying. They can know what you're saying. But they can't experience it. It's nothing like opening your eyes and being able to see the sun bright and how it all it lightens up the whole day and it changes the day from the night it changes the everything <coughs> excuse me the whole perspective is changed by the sun so in one way we can know about it but experiencing it is a whole nother thought right? once we so we'll know it and then we will have the experience of it and i think that will uh, even make our understanding even more. It'll augment our understanding even more. So uh, we do have some knowledge, though. What's the knowledge that we have of it? Let's, there's three points there that we want to go over. So here it is, the first one. This is achievement glory for Christ finishing the work. And that's John 4 uh, through 7 okay, uh, and verse 22. This is John 17, 4 through 7, and 22. I'm going to just look at those verses because when we start, we just want to make sure everybody's on the same page. John 17. So 4 says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So the, so the work that Christ did glorifies the Father. That's understandable because it was the Father's plan. That, so Christ wasn't just here operating. He didn't just find himself here and say, oh, now, let me see, maybe I'll try to make my life have meaning and purpose. He had a mission for being here. And he fulfilled that. That's what he said. I did it. I'm getting ready to go. Now I'm leaving here. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So there's a glory for Christ in all of this. So there's a glory for the Father. There's a glory for Christ. So obviously, it's achievement glory. In other words... It comes on the heels of Christ finishing the work. So I already, I've coined the phrase glory time. Well, what's glory time? It's time between Pentecost and the rapture. It's where the Father is calling out these many sons in the glory. Literally, he has stopped the clock of Israel. He has paused Israel. And he's, these many sons that are being brought into glory are happening literally even though it's in time you could say it's not in time because time sort of in a, a prophecy clock as it goes on jesus tells the whole history of what's going to happen the human history he tells it you can go all the way and look in revelation and see how it all ends up but now time has stopped it's ceased it is no longer happening and here we are being called out of this world. And Christ says, you are no longer out in this world any longer, any more than I am of this world. You are not of this world. So there's a different role, a different purpose for the church. So this is, this is the first point. It's achievement glory. And then there's four through seven. It talks about the work. Uh, 
I have, re I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. So he's talking about the disciples, as we've discovered, how he had to call them. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. So they, this is, I gave them the words you gave me, they accepted them, they knew with certainty that I came from you and believed, and they believed that you sent me. And we're going to skip down to verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. So there you have it. This is special glory. I call it achievement glory. If Christ had not finished the work, <clears throat> he would not be able to say to the Father, I finished the work that you gave me to do. Now glory, give me the glory that I had with you before the world began. He wouldn't be able to say that. So, But the fact that he is, he does say it on the heels of him finishing the work, says to me that it's achievement glory. So point number two. <clears throat> and we, <coughs> the glory is what... <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Hope I'm not catching some cold here. The glory is what we will have when the Father's plan is complete. <clears throat> so for us to get glory, which we saw in 22, I had given them the glory you gave me, means it is the completion of the Father's plan. Some of us, I mean, as a whole... We will all, together, <clears throat> when it's complete, there is a glory that says that the Father's ideal for what the church is, his plan for what the church would be, at some point, that's going to be complete. He's going to say, okay, got what I, what I was after. Success. And then, <clears throat> so that's when we talk about achievement glory. So how will we get that glory? Not till later. And we won't get that glory until uh, I think all of us together will get it. It is when all of us are one. And then the world will know that you have sent me and loved them even as you love me. All those verses will come together <clears throat> in that. Point number three. There is a glory of angels, of man, of Israel. But this is the glory of the new creation. So let's think about that for a second. <clears throat> I say there's a glory of angels. When God created angels, then and angels are functional according to what God planned for them, then that's, that's the glory of angels, literally. <clears throat> so, but, but then there's, there's also the glory of man, and it talks about what God did for man when he created him and crowned him with glory, gave him dominion and over all the creatures of the world. You know, so there's a special glory built in to what God's role for man was and man assuming that role. But then there's also the glory of Israel. <clears throat> so God created from man, man meaning he, there was a distinction now between Jews and Gentiles. He created Israel, the nation Israel. So the, um, there is a special glory that attends <clears throat> the nation Israel, where Israel is fulfilling and functioning according to the plan that the Father has for them. So when we say the, all these glories, so it, they're not independent. Everything that has happened 
is a part of, a component part of, the Father's eternal purpose. That's how we have to be, kind of reorient our thinking. Right? So the mystery is revealed, and nobody knew about the mystery prior to it, its revelation. Nobody. It was hidden. That's why it's called the mystery. So if we think about it that way, <coughs> we didn't have all of human history. We didn't have the whole story. But now that we have the whole story, we have to integrate all that we were given into what we now have according to the mystery. Now, first of all, when I say we have to integrate it, I'm not meaning that we have to shift the things around and make, make them fit. No, they do fit. They fit because they all flow from the Father's eternal purpose. <clears throat> That's why they fit. We don't have to make them fit. We don't have to like a jigsaw puzzle where we have to bend the pieces and, and say, yeah, now see it fits. No. It fits because everything flows from the Father's eternal purpose. So before there was anything, before there was creation, anything, the Father's eternal purpose uh, was the agenda. That was what God was thinking about. Then, as a result of that, he created, he had creation. <clears throat> so when we say the heavens declare the glory of God, we recognize that that's a part of God's eternal purpose. How could he bring many sons into glory if there's no creation? All right, so he goes on, and if we think about him creating man, angels, uh, him creating Israel, <clears throat> all of that stems from the Father's eternal purpose. Nothing is apart from that. Everything is a component part of what God wanted to do and how he did it. This is the story of how he did it. So when you think, there's a couple of verses here to consider. Romans 8, 21. Uh, Romans 8, <clears throat> 21 says, The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That's 21. So notice, what God planned for us in this age, which is... I don't know. If, if people are always predicting, trying to predict the age of the universe. I'm not going to try to do that. But whatever happened, when you talk about the universe, the creation, <clears throat> being liberated from its bondage to decay, then many generations have passed. I don't know how many. Many generations have passed between the time of creation and the time of the sons of God being revealed, the children of God, the freedom and glory of the children of God, says in this verse. <clears throat> so there's a lot of history that has happened, but all of that history depends on this event, right? This event is pivotal for not just, oh, well, now God created a nation, or now God created man, this is pivotal for all creation, period. So when we think about us being children of God and the role we play, it's tremendous. But, but it also says that everything dovetails into that eternal purpose of God. That's what it is to say. Romans 8.21 shows <clears throat> that creation is a part of 
a component part of what God had planned for us, the children of God. And then 2 Thessalonians 2.14, let's look at that. Well, actually, uh, well, I got Romans 5 too. I'm already in Romans. Let's go to Romans 5 before we go there. 5.2, through whom we have... We have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So now, this glory of God that we have, right? And we could say glory can be used in a lot of ways, right? It's, I gave you like the glory of man, glory of angels. and But <clears throat> here, we have this as our hope. Now, what does hope, the word elpis, mean? It means absolute confidence. It doesn't mean, I hope I, I hope so. Like somebody says, did you get the job? When you, you went on the interview, did you get the job? And you say, I hope so. Meaning you don't really know if you're going to get the job or not. You just hope you're going to get the job. And we've used hope in that manner. But that's not how elpis is used in the Greek. The word is used to say absolutely we have this confidence that th that what God said about us is absolute. and in fact not only is it true not only do we know it not only is it true but this is our yearning we trust in it right we see ourselves in the light of it that's how we see ourselves so that that phrase and we boast and the hope of the glory of God. So boasting sounds a little bit arrogant. But we're not boasting in something we have done. We're boasting in something God has done in us. This is, this is our boast. This is what, if God is proud of this, so are we. So we boast in the hope. Something we don't have yet. But we know we, we absolutely are confident that we will have it. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. That's coming. That is, in fact, it belongs to us. It's not. It doesn't belong to us because we have achieved that glory, but because it is. We understand the Father's plan. If we keep reading, and not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. So this hope in the glory of God, listen, that, how can we set, be said to get the glory of God? Now, that's why I say when we see Jesus praying to the Father, it's really over our heads were it not for the spirit of truth. Spirit of truth is able to put all of these phrases, these things that are said about us in perspective. Without the spirit of truth, we could say that these things are out of the scope of human possibility. We, we would say, even for our understanding them, we would, say, we would absolutely reject these things as blasphemous. Even when Christ walked the earth and he said some of the things he said, you know what they said of him? Blasphemous. How could you say that? You're just a man. And you're yet, you're claiming prerogatives that belong to God. Blasphemy. Let's kill him. Let's pick up stones and kill him. That's how they saw it. And now these very same things are said in the church and yet... Most people, instead of understanding the, the breadth of them, 
You know what they do? They ignore them. They say, oh, no, no, no. That's not what it means. Well, you can't say that. I mean, it says that, yes, but it doesn't mean that. <laughs> so why would we temper them? The Jews understood exactly. They understood, oh, wait a minute. You, what you just said violates our theology. So they wanted to kill him for it. Of course, they didn't really understand who Christ was. That's why. They didn't know who he was. Interestingly, the demons who encountered him knew who he was. Oh, you are you come to... You are the son of man. Oh, you're coming to destroy us already? But the people who should have known who he was did not know, did not trust him. He told the disciples, you believe, you believe in God, believe also in me. And that's literally, I mean, if I were to say that to you, just that statement alone, how would you look at me? You say, Douglas, Douglas is, you wouldn't even say Doug anymore. You say, Douglas has asked that we believe in his word the same as we believe in God. You would, you would reject me out of hand. I mean, it wouldn't even be a question. You'd just reject me. But Christ said that to the disciples. He says, you, be, you believe in God, but believe also in me. Then he went on to tell them some divinely uh, inspiring things that are in those four chapters that we covered. Here we are in chapter 17, and he is not let up, telling us things that are as it says here in Romans 5, 2, the hope, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So let's go back. <clears throat> this is one more verse. 2 Thessalonians 2, 14. 2 Thessalonians 2, 14. Let's look at that. What does that add to the conversation? Okay. Uh, okay, so <clears throat> he says he called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. There, now you might say, well, well, this is an obscure verse. Why are we using that? We're using that because it shows the very language of Christ is also the language of those who are in Christ. And Paul, which is Paul and and to his congregations that he's telling them the same language. <clears throat> you could, you can't, I mean, verse 14, we could read 13, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel. So notice, he called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we do. We share it. Christ says, the glory you gave me, I'm giving it to them. He's not giving it all to them. He's sharing it with us. We get some of the, we share the same glory that Christ receives, that he achieved. We, we benefit from that. And it's by grace because we didn't do anything for it. So there is the glory of angels, glory of Israel, glory of man, right? But now <clears throat> there is this new glory that Christ has, that he has earned. 
and it's the glory that has to do with the new creation. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. And we could tie that back to Romans 8.29 and 30. For those he foreknew, he also predestined that they might, uh, that he might conform many brothers and sisters into this very image. It's Romans 8 botched a little bit by me. But yes, there it is. Those he foreknew, he, he, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So that information is it's like a chain of custody of those God foreknew all the way to those he glorified. I mean, you can't, you, you have to see this as a group. Not all humanity, but a group. Only those in this age could be conformed to the image of Christ because that's, how does that happen? It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's how it happens, and that only happens in this age. There's no retroactive baptism of the Spirit for Moses and Noah and Abraham. And they don't, they're not in this age. They weren't chosen in him before the creation of the world. Notice we're chosen in him. We're not chosen in Israel. We're chosen in Christ, which is different. Okay, let's keep going because we got a lot of ground to cover and time is moving on. So point 2B, the glory we are given is achieved by our Lord and bestowed on us, upon us by the Father's sovereign grace. It is the plan which was hidden in God. So this is one Colossians 1, 25 through 27. So no, I mean, think about it this way. In Colossians, um, this, this is something very special. It's glory. It, it is the achievement of the Father's plan that comes to us through this mystery, as Paul's term to, to describe it, the mystery. Let's look at it. Verse 25, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present the word of God in its fullness. That means it wasn't in its fullness before. This goes back to what I was trying to describe earlier by explaining that everything dovetails into the Father's plan. So creation, angels, man, Gentiles, Jews, Israel, all the human history is because the Father wants to bring many sons into glory. These are This is how he did it. And we are learning the story of how it all works. So we didn't have the full story because God hid this information, but now it is revealed. So we have, so Paul says, now I'm going to be telling you the word of God in its fullness. I'm going to make sure everybody knows. What is that, Paul? The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. And here it is again, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now we can't hope to have any greater glory than Christ has. 
And if we're talking about divinity or whatever, like Christ, <clears throat> Christ isn't getting any glory in his divinity. Like he is God. He doesn't, he's, he functions as God. There's nothing he achieves other than the Father, when we think about the Father's plan. Right? So the Father planned this, the Son is the one who executed it, and the Holy Spirit is here helping us understand it. They, they don't get rewarded for their plan, but the Father does get rewarded, or not rewarded, but he gets what we call achievement glory, because it's his plan. That's what the scripture, how, how the scripture has presented it to us. And you could say, well, could it have been the son's plan? It could. I don't know. But the scripture has presented to us, it's the father's plan. Now, maybe when we get there, they'll say, well, you know, this was language of accommodation. Well, we're going to use the language of accommodation until we don't have it anymore. But right now, it's the father's plan. He planned it. The son executed. Holy Spirit is revealing it, helping us understand what God has done. Notice... In these verses, the mystery has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the dynamics of the church age. Same dynamics we read in John 17, where he says, I and them, they, you know, they, they are in us and all that. The hope of glory. Christ is the one who achieves all of this, right? All of this is on the back of Christ. Without Christ, none of this would have happened. We couldn't have even said, the Father couldn't have fulfilled this plan were it not for Christ. And we're not just talking about salvation, right? We're talking about the plan of the Father, which is to bring many sons and daughters into glory. It could not have happened without Christ. I like this verse. I know you might say, well, it's just saying that because it says in Christ all the time. But in Ephesians 3, it says it this way. It says, um, and to make plain, verse 9, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. There, That's interesting. Right there. We know who was the one who created all things, God, but it was all created all things is because of this plan. Verse 9. <clears throat> That's verse 9, right? If we look at verse 11, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished, notice, in Christ Jesus our Lord. So without Christ being the pattern, this is like saying God created man, but he didn't create Adam, who was the pattern for man. He had to create, the, he had to create Adam. And it's interesting, we look at Adam, we say, well, he's responsible for us being born in sin and being born condemned and being born with a sin nature. We say that, right? Is it really Adam's fault? Yes, it is. It is Adam's fault. And there's a verse that's interesting, Romans 7. You tell me, this is how I understand it, you tell me what you think, uh, maybe during our Q&A stuff. So, Romans 7, this is what it says, um, verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin. How are we sold 
as a slave to sin. He's talking about the slave on a slave market. How, how did that happen? What an analogy, Paul. Well, it happened through Adam. Because of what Adam did, we are sold as slaves to sin. We, we don't even belong to ourselves. We are bound in sin. Sold as slaves to sin. Well, that only could have happened. How did you get sold? You didn't have anything to do with that. Somebody else owned you and sold you. Well, how did that happen? It was Adam. When Adam sinned, he plunged the whole human race into sin. And as a result of it, we are said, Paul is using this phrase to help us understand that we are this is the condition in which we are born. It is not something where we achieved. <laughs> we didn't achieve condemnation. We were born condemned. We didn't achieve having an old sin nature. We were born with an old sin nature. All those things we didn't earn. We were sold as slaves to sin. Let's get back to our notes. I know I'm off the track somewhere. So, um, <clears throat> the glory we have given is achieved by our Lord and bestowed on us. By the Father, sovereign grace, it is the plan which was hidden in God. We already read Colossians 1, 25 through 27. Point C, Christ wants us to be with him to see this glory because we have something to do with it. Why, why wouldn't he just say to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to be with me to, to get... To, no, he, he doesn't say this about Moses. Even though Moses asked to see his glory. Can I see your face, he said, or something. <laughs> this is in the Exodus. And uh, God said, it's not for Moses, it's not for you to know the times. These are reserved for others. And don't you worry about that. I will, this is what I will show you. But it's not for you, Moses. It's not for you, Abraham, or Isaac, or Jacob. And you can, if you want to pattern your lives around them, you can. But that would be off. Because you are not of this world. You're something else. You're a part of the new creation. So why does Christ want us to be with him? Because that glory has something to do with us. His glory is achieved through bringing those many sons into glory. As why I say it's glory time. We are his glory. Since we are the ones that satisfy the Father. When I say we satisfy the Father, what I mean is the Father has a plan. And for the Father to achieve that plan, many sons will have to be brought into glory. 17.10, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. So Christ is expressing the relationship that he has through Mutually possessing all that the Father has. And what is that? That is the plan. Right? The Father has put the entire plan on the shoulders of Christ. And then, and all you have is mine. In other words, all I have is yours, which is a reference to the life of Christ, giving himself to the Father. And all you have is mine. The Father does give. What does he give? His plan. And glory has come to me through them. So glory didn't just come to Christ. See, Christ finished the work. What was the work? Well, establishing the foundation. 
getting the ball rolling. I got these. I told them what you told me. They were yours. You gave them to me. Getting the ball rolling. Christ did all that work necessary. Now he could sit back and allow the Father to call out those many sons in him, in Christ. It's like he chose them before, before the world began. Glory has come to me through them. So Christ, because of us, Christ gets glory. Christ, the Father's plan is realized through Christ. We already read that. Right? According to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he wants us to see him, to see this glory we, we have, and um, just because we, we are part of it. So, of course, that satisfies the Father, and it is appropriate for us as well. Point three. To see my glory, the glory you have given me, because, this is point number three now, you have loved me before the creation of the world. Let's see. We don't have too many points here. Maybe we'll get through it. We will not fully know what God has made of us. That's the new creation. Until... We are in his presence. Now, why do I say that? I say that because uh, the truth of it is, even though God has told us this stuff, he's given us analogies, it's like being married, it's like a vine and the branches, it's like a head in the body. It's like, he's telling us all he can about this special relationship that we have with Christ. And so all, even though he's given all of that, and we know it, and we can talk about and boast in the hope of the glory of God, we can say all of that. We could be groaning or yearning inward because we have we who have the first fruits waiting for the adoption to sonship. We know what's ahead of us. But man, when we get there, there's going to be nothing like it. We can't say we know that. We can't. So, it is important that we see it that way. We will not fully know what God has made of us. And that's the new creation. Until we are in his presence. And that's what it says. Uh, when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. See, we will fully see. Like, that's with our own eyeballs. Like, that's, that's when... Everything, like we have our resurrection bodies and we understand. Once we, we're in that place, I think our understanding of the Father's plan will be even greater because of the experience. So you need the knowledge plus the experience to fully grasp what God is doing for us. The knowledge plus the experience. So point B Christ being loved before the creation must refer to verse 5 in context. <clears throat> so, when he says, because you loved me before the creation, where is that? That's in verse 24. He says, um, see my glory, the glory you have with me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. So the glory that he's talking about must refer back to verse 5, 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So I would imagine that 
Christ did his job. He did everything he could do. Right? What else could he do? He, I mean, even the fact that he intercedes for us, I know there's a passage in Romans 8 that says that. And I know the Spirit helps out with our infirmities. We don't always know what to pray for as we ask. I know the Spirit intercedes for us. Christ is interceding for us. But Christ did all the work that he could do while he was here to bring many sons into glory. He taught them. He chose them. He made sure. And he was obedient in every respect to the Father. So, so he, he did his job. So, but it's coming where we, when we understand loved, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Well, that verse goes to the, before the creation of the world. And what did the, the Father do? He loved Christ. And what does loved mean? It means he chose him. Let's look at some of these points uh, in B. Right? It must refer to verse 5. We've got to put that in. That's in the context. So point number one. The Father loving Christ results in his choosing Christ for this specific role where, quote, many sons and daughters are being called into glory. We already read Romans 8, 29, 30. I must have quoted it three or four times already, too. So this is important for us to know, right, that the Father loving Christ, what does that mean? Because it's going to be reflective on how we understand love as well. Not just uh, what the father, his side, what, what did he do, and, but it's also how we reciprocate. How, what do we do now that we're in the position of those who are loved, those who are chosen? Like the father chose Christ. Could he have chosen someone else? Maybe he could have chose the Holy Spirit, but he specifically chose Christ. And it's characterized to us that he loved him. That's how we ought to see it. And it says, for those he foreknew. Now, I might read Romans 8.29, because it does say something that I haven't brought out so much. <coughs> Romans 8.29. It says, uh, for those God, and when it says he's talking about God the Father, we should know, God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So, this is the plan, right? God is planning before time began. All these words that are used, foreknown, called, predestined, right, all that. These are before time began. Even the other words, justified, glorified, they were given before time began too. It's just that some of those words didn't happen until time, in time. Those he justified, he also glorified. That's after human after we are raptured, right? We, he also glorified. So the Father glorified them. These, these are glorified because of what the plan is. God foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So that's important for us to understand the how of it. <clears throat> the Father loving Christ results in his choosing Christ. For this specific role, where many sons and daughters are called into glory. Point number two, Christ loving the Father is expressed in his exacting obedience to the Father's plan. So we're <clears throat> looking at both sides of it. Looking at what, how the Father 
loves Christ, which means he chose him for this specific role to bring me to be the very source or the Adam to bring these many sons into glory. <clears throat> and then we're looking at our side of it or Christ's side where it says, how did Christ respond to what the father, uh, his, the father's love? He, he responded with exacting obedience to the Father's plan. We know that from John 14, 31, where he says, The world must learn that I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. Philippians 2, 8 says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So there is his exacting obedience <clears throat> with respect to the Father's plan. Point number three. Our love for our Lord and the Father is expressed. Now this is how we, who are in Christ, how we should understand or reciprocate or respond to the love of the Father. What does it mean, love of the Father? Well, he not only did he choose Christ to be right the Adam, but he chose us in him. So that we, each one of us, are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, before the world began. So that, um, so that's our part, right? Our love for the for the Lord and the Father. So not only do we love the Lord because we're we're obedient; He's the Lord. We're obedient to Him, but and the Father because we understand the plan. That. All things that belong to the Father, Christ said, are mine. So we understand the Father's plan is now on the shoulders of Christ. It's expressed in our appreciation, our praise. Right? These are things that are immediate response to our understanding. If we understand the plan, it, it immediately should, should cause in us an appreciation. Now, I'm not telling you what response to have, but I'm telling you these are common responses to understanding the plan of God. Well, praise. Paul said, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he understands the plan. It shows that he understands how it all developed and how we are to understand. And it draws an appreciation for that plan. A praise. Well, we can praise God. We we're not, I know praise has been an overused word today. People are praising God. If you just say, God is good. Oh, and then they go for a half hour that God is good. But no, this is praise that is specifically understood because we understand the plan of God. We understand what God has done for us. And we praise him. And then there's a commitment. Right? This is where, if we want to say to God, thank you, if we want to, how do we respond to God? It is by giving of ourselves, committing our lives. That's all we have. We don't have anything else. Now, God already owns you. He took you, right? At the baptism of spirit, he owns you now. He indwells you. But now, it is a mental ascent, commitment is, that you understand what God called you to from eternity past. And just like Paul said, I'm a... I'm a prisoner, all right, but I'm a prisoner of Christ. And then he says that we ought to walk worthy of the calling we have received. That's commitment and devotion, right? Meaning, 
not only does he feel it is he's responsible, right? But he is purposefully giving himself to learning. When I say learning, I don't just mean oh well, let's learn about creation. Let's learn about well, all that is in it is in there, but more specifically, learning the Father's plan since it is revealed now. I mean, we could learn about Moses and Daniel and Israel and all that. That's certainly there. But what information God has called us to, who we are in Christ, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We're talking about us. It is unique. So we have to learn it. We can't, there's no way we're going to know it unless we learn. And learning, God gave us a person. Not, he didn't just say, well, you know, I'm going to give you the law. I want you to bind it on your phylacteries and all the different, on the doorposts. When you, no, you know what he gave us? He gave us a person. And the person is not in some spirit of emotion. <clears throat> it's the spirit of truth. So we submit ourselves to the spirit of truth where and the spirit of truth, where does he get his information? What is truth? Truth, your word is truth. It's in writing. So it's learning the plan through the spirit of truth. That's how we respond. Right? You could say, well, uh, well, what about getting out there and doing some good works? Passing out tracts and all the things that we need to be doing. <clears throat> well, your first commitment is to know. Because you, if you don't know the plan, then how can you respond properly to it? How can you properly appreciate it? How can you properly devote yourself to learning? You can't. You've got to learn it. That's the first step. All the other stuff, what you do as a result of your spiritual gifts and how God motivates you, that's okay. But first, learning. That's the key. Point four. Resulting in walking worthy of our extraordinary calling in Christ. All of that will result in how you live, how you conduct yourself in the world. Ephesians 4.1, as Paul said, um, walk worthy of the calling we have received. And then there's 12 and 13. Ephesians Ephesians 1. No, no. Ephesians 4.12 and 13 says... To equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So notice, <clears throat> maturity always is going to be reflective of the knowledge and wisdom that we have. So it's what he says, become mature, attaining to the, what is mature? Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Uh, being, uh, being, having the faith and unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. Understanding who he is. So it is important that we grow up in Christ. And our growing up in this age is, is around us learning the plan, after all. The Old Testament folks didn't know the plan. And the New Testament folks are busy disregarding the plan. Many people 
who should know it, they're not talking about it. <clears throat> so, what is our responsibility? It's to walk worthy of it, to be proud of what God has called us to, right? to understand the Father's plan. It's revealed now. He's telling people, and people are still ignorant of it, even though it's over 2,000 years. So, I know we're getting close to our time. I'll just give you this last point, point C, and then we will finish the rest next week. So drawing conclusions. The Father loved us <clears throat> in the same way he loved Christ. Okay, he did. He loved us the same way he loved Christ. As, so we find, we find that in our context, right? Because he's, Verse 23 says, you love them. Verse 24, well, let's just, I want to read it. I don't want to confuse it. Let's take our time. So John 17, 23 says, I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me. And here it is. And have loved them even as, in the same way as, you have loved me. So, <clears throat> so the love we have is the same. Why would it be the same? It's because the love represents God's special choosing, right? So he specially chose Christ. And then he specially chose us in Christ. That's why it's the same love, right? It's just like the same love you love them, you love me. Christ is saying. So that's the first thought, right? We're drawing conclusion. The Father loved us in the same way he loved Christ. And the Father loved Christ. When did, he, when did all this happen? Happened. When did all this happen? Before the creation of the world. That's verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Well, did he love us before the creation of the world? Absolutely, he did. Um, so that's point D. Therefore, the Father loved us before the creation of the world. So there it is in Ephesians 1.4. And it's also, right there, reflective of our, our choosing, him choosing us, right? So here it says, for he chose us in him. When did that happen? Before the creation of the world. So, so to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us. So that's the choosing the special choosing of God. Now, how, why, is other, why are others not in Christ? How come God didn't just choose for every saved person in the world to be in Christ? Because if that were true, he wouldn't have to even teach it this way. He could have just said, this is how it happens. And as soon as a person saved, but that's not how it happens. That's specific to us in this unique age. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. So, um, I might as well finish. Because you loved me, this is point E, Christ is in the position of glory, and it's because of this love. How did he get there? It's because Father chose him for this. He couldn't even have said, I finished the work you gave me to do, if Father didn't give him the work to do. We are also in a position to receive glory, and it's because he loved us too before the creation of the world before 
First Peter 5.10 has something to say about this. Let's look at it. First, first Peter 5 and 10 says, and, God, and the God of all grace, who called you, notice, to his eternal glory in Christ. Same language. Peter understands that Paul understands. Of course it is. Same spirit. Who called you <clears throat> to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and making you strong, firm, and steadfast. So notice he has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. All of that happened before the world began, as we saw. So, and then point F as we close, and it's a quote from Ephesians 3 and 21. It says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, Amen. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. <laughs> That's literally what he's saying. Forever and ever. Amen. So this is God's plan. This is, this is where it all stems from. The glory, the achievement glory that Christ is praying to the Father about. And one day when it's over, we will be with him where he is. And we will see his glory. And what that means is we will see the fullness, the full expression of the Father's plan for us. What we will be. So I'm looking forward to that time. Just as Christ himself says he is. I believe it. I trust in it. This is the plan of God for the church. Let's, let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for this grace that you have given us, so special, that goes to your thoughts and intents uh, before time began. So we thank you that we are a part of it. We didn't earn it or deserve it, but we share in what Christ has achieved. We thank you for his achievement. We thank you for his work and dedication and devotion to your plan. And so, Father, we pray that you would continue to help us learn about this so we can see and understand more and more of your glorious grace and that we understand how to respond to it, how to walk worthy of the calling we have received. So we pray for those on this call and those who may listen to this after that they may understand and be challenged by the things we hear, challenged to come and to learn even more as we understand these things. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.